I've been living in Isaiah 55, I think, for two years. I seem to so often appear to lose my way and wonder where God is in the situation. Where are you, God? Why is this happening? And I keep coming back to Isaiah 55, highway 55, highway to God, highway to finding God in the situations of life that we face. And this morning I want to uh, speak on uh, two verses from Isaiah 55, verses 12 and 13. Amazing verses. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come the cypress tree And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. And this morning I want to speak to you on cooperating with the mountains and the hills of life cooperating with the mountains and hills of life. The terrain of our lives, each one of us always has mountains and hills. As in the natural world, we have the hills and the mountains and within our personal lives, there are mountains and hills. That is part of the terrain of life and living. I haven't climbed very many mountains. I'm not as fit as Pastor Margot. She could really climb mountains. But the few mountains I've climbed, I've learned quite a lot from. Almost 30 years ago, we were in the Middle East, in uh, Israel, and then went to Egypt. And uh, we decided, my dad and myself, we decided we're going to go to Mount Sinai. We want to climb Mount Sinai. If there's a mountain to climb, that's the mountain. And so we uh, had a bus and it took us to uh, St. Catherine's Monastery. And uh, we booked in for five-star luxury and accommodation. And as we come in, we uh, had for our main meal cold pasta with a drop of tomato sauce. That was it. That was the meal, and uh, when we went to our lodging, dormitory kind of uh, lodging, uh, the beds were those old metal pipe, uh, totally metal beds that I think we've thrown away a long time ago. And the mattresses were very thin Kapok mattresses, and we were very tired, but the only problem, the mattresses were wet. They were damp. The place was smelly. It was dirty. 
the amenities, uh, I, I don't want to talk to those because you have sensitive ears, but uh, they, the quicker you got out, the better. Uh, no hot water, and that was the accommodation, but I think we only paid a dollar or so, so it really wasn't a five-star accommodation. But at three o'clock in the morning, we were woken up, and uh, we began our trek. We began climbing Mount Sinai. It took two hours to climb. It wasn't a pleasant climb. You could see very little. The guide in front had a torch. And it was somewhat tiring, but not impossible. We could handle it. And uh, you wondered, is this worthwhile? And the only thing that kept you going was the thought that I'm going to find God in a new way when I reach the summit, when I reach the top. And so finally, after two hours darkness, we reached the top and within a few minutes, you had sunrise, the beauty of sunrise. And you could see the whole span of uh, mountains and the terrain. It was magnificent. It was beautiful. And the fact that you felt this was where Moses met with God, whether the location's correct, but the thought of it uh, kind of made you feel God and there was a sense of excitement, there was a sense of the presence of God. And when you reach the summit, in spite of the hardships and the extremes, there was a beauty that you enjoyed. And so that was the highest mountain that I'd ever climbed. It took about one hour to get down wasn't pleasant and then we couldn't get out of St. Catherine's Monastery quick enough to enjoy some of the comforts of life. Now I have climbed hills in Papua New Guinea. The only problem was that I felt embarrassed. The ladies with their children in billums on their back were miles in front and I was there panting and puffing and trying to get up those hills. In the natural, there's an effort. Hills and mountains have an element of the extreme. And I want to tell you that our lives, even as God's people, even as those that serve God and love God, our lives will have the terrain of mountains and hills. And that's what I want to talk about this morning because we have the wonderful promise of God in Isaiah, for you shall go out with joy and you'll be led with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing. The terrain of our lives will always have mountains and hills. As in the natural, so in our lives and the spiritual. The top is always exhilarating. The journey is always difficult. Mountains in scriptures can signify a number of things. And you know, the wonder of scripture is that it can apply in so many ways to our lives. There's, there's no other book, there's no other literature in the world that can bring about the messages and the truths and the illustrations that the Bible 
has and gives us. And so when we look at scripture, mountains can mean, you know, achievement. There's a number of things. But this morning, I want to talk about mountains and, uh, uh, mountains and hills in terms of challenge and hardship and trial and difficulty and adversity. I think Paul kind of has the idea when he says in 1 Corinthians 13 2, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains. So he's, he's removing, talking about removing mountains of difficulty, mountains of hardship, mountains of sickness. If he had all faith and he could remove mountains but had not love, of course, he goes on to say, then it is nothing. This is God's experience for us. For you shall go out with joy and be led with peace. And the mountains and hills will break forth into singing. Isaiah 55 is about finding God in our hour and place of need. We all face situations and go through experiences in life that overwhelm us to the point of despair. In those times of lostness, we look for God because it's so contrary to what we feel God is. We look for him and wonder, God, where are you? Interestingly, that God reveals that on the terrain of mountains and hills, he will reveal himself and show himself with joy, for you shall go out with joy and secondly with peace and be led out with peace you know throughout the bible we find that god offers this to those that love him and follow him there is joy and peace nehemiah 8:10 says the joy of the lord is your strength philippians 4:7 says and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so we find that, that the assurance that God is with us is that within our experience there will be a joy and there will be a peace. Now sometimes we kind of don't fully understand what joy is, what joy means. I'm going to read you a definition that really gets to the essence of what joy is. It's hard, it's not happiness. It's not merriment. That, that's not what joy is. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. I want to tell you if you've got that, you've got joy. You mightn't have merriment, you mightn't be happy, but you have joy. It's a state of mind, an orientation of the heart, is that it is a settled state of contentment, confidence and hope. Now that's joy. We often confuse it with happiness. Happiness uh, is, uh, tends to be externally triggered and it's based on other people, things, places, thoughts and events. Happiness has to do with happenings, what happens to us, what we experience and our emotional response of well-being and feeling good and, and being glad. 
that that has happened. Not only are we told that God's leading will include joy and peace, but we're told that the mountains and the hills that we go through those experiences will break forth into singing before us. Those very difficult and painful experiences become the very reason for song becoming the music to our singing. We're also told that the trees of the field shall clap their hands. The very details of what we pass through will be the applause that will be given to our lives and our life will give to God. Now, I struggle with this verse for two months now. It's been tossing it around. And I thought when I was going to put pen to paper, God, I I, I can't preach this. And uh, the reason is, it's not working in my life. I'm not really experiencing this. I'm not too excited about preaching theory or preaching beyond what I believe I can promise and God's people can get. And so I was in a dilemma. Do I go for another message or do I find God in Isaiah 55? And uh, some days ago, you know, those wonderful encounters that occasionally we have with God, where we meet with him with a freshness, where there's that overwhelming sense of his presence, where you feel the arms of God around you. And I felt an anointing and a sense of God's peace and God's joy overwhelm me. And I said, God, I will. I'm going to get excited about this message. You know, I learned many years ago that if I'm not excited about what I preach, no one's going to be excited listening to it. And so the first step to good preaching, not that my preaching's good, but the first step to good preaching is you get excited, believe in it, believe it's the answer, believe this is the word of the Lord. And if you do that, God's people that listen to God's word will enjoy and take it in. And so I, I struggled. I struggled because God's experience in Isaiah 55, was not my experience today. My experience in general or specifically is nothing like this. Generally and most of the time, I don't like mountains. I don't like hills. I don't like the pain they bring. I don't like uh, my muscles aching. I don't like fatigue. I don't like their roughness. I don't like their lack of comfort. I'll be honest, I struggle because most of my life is governed by circumstances and my reactions to those circumstances within my mind. I'm not happy when I'm sick or tired or experience bad news, or have an accident, 
or lose money or fail in what I'm doing or seeing my family suffer, feeling I'm treated unjustly, mess up things, struggle with the consequences that were not of my doing. I can't say I'm happy. Those circumstances make me very unhappy. And sometimes I don't know quite how to handle that. Because, you know, Paul says that we're to count it all joy, but joy and happiness are two different things. And, you know, I I struggle with being sick and taking medicine and not getting well. I I don't like those things. It doesn't seem like the, the lightness that Isaiah 55 talks about that, you know, you're let out with joy and peace and, you know, you can almost sing that and there seems to be a lightness and an ease about it. I haven't found that. I could go on. I have more unhappiness and sadness and disappointment than it appears to me than joy. My logical mind becomes my enemy, focusing on the worst that could happen, robbing faith of its power in my life. I would rather react with to my mountains than cooperate with them. But I have discovered I have to, in the extremes of mountain conditions look for the joy and the peace because it's there it's there if you look for it it's there to find it's there when in desperation you come before God and say God I have nothing left it's there for the finding it's there for the taking by faith I need to tune my ears in the midst of what is happening and hear the singing that the mountains, the experiences, the hardships, the extremes, they can bring about a song. And instead of wanting to cut down and remove the trees and every detail and every whatever, I was going to say doctor's appointment. We've got too many doctors here. (laughs) (laughs) That I I, I see these things as a hindrance. I need to accept their applause for what they are taking me through and what will be the end result. Have I succeeded in allowing, accepting, clinging to the word of Isaiah 55, 12, for you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Have I succeeded? Well, I'm not going to tell you till the end. I want to look just for a little while to other people that have had to climb and experience the terrain of hills and mountains in their lives. I want to consider just for a moment Abraham's 
Mount Moriah. Genesis 22, verse 2, God prefaces the mountain experience. Our experiences normally aren't prefaced. God doesn't normally come and say, look, you're going to go through a tough time now, but with Abraham, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Put yourself in Abraham's place. This was a mountain experience none of us would want to face. What Abraham cherished, what all the promises of God focused on, his son. God said, Abraham, in the terrain of your life now, there's a mountain to climb. I want you to take your only son, the one that you love, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. Put yourself in his shoes. Can you imagine the pain? Can you imagine the agony of every step? Can you imagine as he looked aside to make sure that Isaac was climbing that mountain with him? Can you imagine, can you imagine the sadness, the grief? It's hard to put into words, even as, you know, we've kind of spoken, uh, Pastor Marty spoke about Pastor Marty being there to, you know, support and help and, and be there as a messenger, a friend and a messenger of God to that poor situation in Alice Springs. And here you can imagine the pain, the pain. Can you imagine his mind? Can you imagine the, the eruption, the, the cyclonic thoughts that would have been in his mind as, as, as he looked back and remembered God's promises, as he looked back and realized the mistake of Ishmael, and as he looked back and saw the miracle birth of his miracle son. And in him, God would reveal his purposes. But God said, no. As far as Abraham concerned, this was a walk of death. This was a walk of death. This was going through the valley of the shadow of death. There's nothing more horrible that you can think of. But I want to tell you that his servants or Isaac had no idea. Because within that man, there was a resolve. There was a joy because he had the ability to believe in hope when there was no hope. Who against, the Bible tells us, who against hope believed in hope. That somehow nothing made sense in his mind. The sun was gone, but somehow... He recognized the greatness and the power and the majesty of God. And somehow that was the joy that kept him going. Not a happiness, not a frivolity, not a laughter, but that sense. God, somehow you must be in control. And then his understanding of God and his experiences of the word of the Lord, his mind came to peace. There was a peace in his mind and he was able to climb and he virtually went all the way even when his son asked who's the sacrifice 
God will provide. And as he understood God was providing Isaac. And as he raised his hand on Mount Moriah, as he reached, in a sense, the end of himself and came into a realm that very few people understand, came into a realm of trusting God, the angel of the Lord appeared and spoke and told him to stop. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, if you follow it through, it's is normally recognized as the what we call the pre-incarnate, the pre-incarnate uh, appearances of Jesus, of, of the Son of God. And the angel told him to stop at that moment. And I want to tell you at that moment, the mountains sang for joy. There was singing. There was singing in his heart. There was singing on Mount Moriah as possibly the angel of the Lord with a myriad of other angels praising God appeared because upon his obedience, upon Abraham's obedience and promise, the whole world would be blessed. And you know today, praise God, today we clap our hands. We give applause. We thank God for every tree. We thank God for every obstacle. We thank God for the struggle that he went through to prove his love and faith in God. That was the mountain he went through. I want to tell you my mountains are nowhere like that. Mine are trivial. You know what I mean? When you look at what he went through and you think sometimes what am I complaining about and you know and the angel of the Lord Exodus uh, 3 to, to and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush and uh, we find that uh, he revealed himself told him to stop, revealed himself. There was a provision, of course, of a sacrifice. And it's all referring then, looking forward to Jesus. But you know, the angel of the Lord, God revealed himself as... Uh, uh, I'm just... I, I skipped a page, I'm sorry. Uh, the angel uh, of the Lord revealed himself as uh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that remarkable? I want to tell you that that redemptive name, that name that, that, that shows the character of God, he's Jehovah Jireh. He's the one that will provide. He will never fail in his provision. He'll never be too late. He's that was the revelation of God that Abraham received and the revelation of the character of God that came through this tremendous act of faith. Quickly, the second person that I want to look at was Moses at Mount Horeb. Mount Moses at Mount Horeb. He had to climb that mountain in the terrain of his life. Exodus 3, 1 says, And Moses kept the flock of Jephro, his father-in-law, and, and he led the flock to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Moses' mountain experience lasted 40 years. That's a long time. 
You know, I don't mind little short stints. When they run into a year or two, I struggle very much. But it seemed like Moses' life was totally a mess. You know, uh, he lost in the mountain, in the wilderness, and the mountain of Horeb. He lost his comforts. Uh, he lost the food. He lost all that Egypt offered. He lost his call. He had to run away as a fugitive. Everything had gone wrong. He understood that there was a call of God upon his life, but, but there was no evidence of it now. He had to run and he ran to uh, the wilderness, to uh, the backside of the desert, to where Mount Horeb was. And there for 40 years he had to endure the discomfort of nomadic wilderness life where just getting enough to eat was, was a task in itself. And he would take care of Jephro's sheep and he married Jephro's daughter. And the only thing that Moses had an abundance of was time, which he didn't want. You know, sometimes we don't want time when we're unwell. He didn't want that. Time to reflect. Reflect on what? How can I undo it? God, you're doing nothing. 20 years, 20, 40 years. Then finally, he comes to Mount Horeb. We know the story. The burning bush. And now God wants to show him and somehow I believe that during those 40 years there was something in Moses that that was still believing in God I believe that there was a joy not a happiness he was a very unhappy man I would have been a very unhappy man very unhappy man and you know that there was a peace even though his past was full of turmoil and then finally we find that God says, look, I'm going to step in and I'm going to allow the mountains to begin to sing. And then we have God appeared in the burning bush. God spoke to Moses. God placed his hand and his call upon his Moses. God released Moses into his divine destiny. And I want to tell you again this morning that we can applaud we can applaud God's hand in taking Moses, delivering Israel. Then Moses went to that same mountain, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. He went later and he was the recipient of the law of God, the Ten Commandments that have governed and changed the world. And then the law was able to illustrate and prepare the world for the day of grace. The wilderness sang. As it prepared Moses, if it wasn't for those 40 years, how could Moses contend with the grumbling for 40 years of the children of Israel and trying to survive where it was almost impossible to survive? The mountains sang and the trees clapped their, clapped their hands. Very quickly before I kind of come to answer the question I posed, have I found this to be true? I just want to very quickly look at Elijah on Mount Carmel rather, and Mount Horeb. It's interesting that you can see the terrain of his life. Here you've got Mount Carmel, then for 40 days in the wilderness, 
disillusioned. You couldn't have had a more mighty victory. Uh, Elijah was responsible for the famine, for all the problems that the wicked king and Jezebel, Ahab and Jezebel, blamed him for everything. He showed on Mount Carmel the greatness and the might of God. He believed God for rain when there was nothing to believe. And for seven times he he prayed and asked his servant to to go and have a look. Uh, Can he see any clouds? And then finally all that that man needed was barely a spot the size of a man's hand. He said, that's it. That's all I want. I know God's in control, the rains are coming, run. And then Jezebel, that wicked woman, wicked queen that established all the uh, idolatry of Baal, she was after him, going to take his life. He's so exhausted. He's had it, he goes, and he just wants to die. Unknowingly, the angel of the Lord, he's woken up, he's fed on two occasions. Then he's led, he goes through the wilderness And once again, he comes to Mount Horeb. And at Mount Horeb, he's in that that cave and God now wants to show him, wants to talk to him, wants to reveal that, that he is joy, he is peace. There can be singing and there can be applause. God wants to do that and... And so he he looks and outside the cave, we know the story, you've got the earthquake, you've got the the winds and the fire, you've got all these spectacular demonstrations of nature that God must have allowed to come to pass. That's what I look for, don't you? That's what I look for in God's intervention, that's how I want God to intervene. I want there to be no doubt, God, you know, alter the test that the doctor has in front of his eyes to say all is good. We want the spectacular. But God didn't reveal himself in that way. He revealed himself in this still, small, quiet voice, in the whisper that even though it's not demonstrative, even though it's not loud, even though it's not earth-shattering, but it's the word of the Lord. Now, God speaks to us often in the quietness. And secondly, God knows what we do not know. And he told Elijah, Elijah's grumbling and saying, everyone's uh, bowing to Baal, Everyone's left you. I'm the only one that's left. And so often we get it wrong and God says, no, that's not the case. I still have 7,000 people that have not bowed their knee to Baal. You see, our knowledge is limited. What we think we know when the doctor tells us something, when, we, when our family experiences adversity, when we come to a time where in the thick of the extremes of the mountain, we feel the cold, the isolation, the ruggedness. I want to tell you this morning that God knows more than you know. God may not reveal it all at once. And sometimes you have to bow. You need to hear, you need to find the voice of God. If we can have the musicians come. And this brings me to the answer. 
have I discovered the power of Isaiah 55, verses 12 and 13. I thought I hadn't. I thought, God, how can I preach on this when I really haven't experienced it? And then in that moment when I said, Lord, I don't know what to do, there was that sense of the overwhelming presence of God. You know what I'm talking about. Those unique moments, those moments when God becomes tangible, those moments where somehow, even though it's not your body, but somehow you know that God's hand's there. And God reminded me of the blessings he's given, of the protection of family, of things totally unrelated to what I was going through, but evidence of the wonder and the hand of God. And there came over me such a joy. There, there was that sense that God, it is there. I will be led in the mountains with joy. And then my troubled mind that constantly I'm battling with. I sense the peace. I sense the, the guard that Paul talks about that stands over our mind and says, nothing's going to get in to destroy God's peace. And then I thought, you've come through. In spite of being unhappy and grumpy and tired and fatigued and all the, you've come through your faith in God still there. And I thought, God, you have led me with peace. And this brought me to that place of looking and feeling and, and seeing that the mountains cause a song. And there was a song that welled within me and I said, thank God for your leading, for your help, for your blessing. And there was a sense of applause. There was a sense where I could clap my hands for every detail because God was involved. God was involved. We need to cooperate with God in the mountains and the hills of life that we face. And that second verse, which I haven't spent much time on. Where am I? Well, there's so much more I had there. It doesn't matter. Uh, uh, Isaiah 55, 13a, it says, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. You know, mountain, difficult, hard experiences can produce the worst in us. It, thorns can grow, but God said, no, you let me control, and instead of the thorn, there'll be the cypress tree, a tree that's strong and useful. And instead of the, uh, the I'm sorry, uh, cypress tree, and instead of the briar, the thorn, shall come up the myrtle tree. And so the result in the life, the myrtle tree was known for its healing properties uh, in its leaves. And, and it had other use. Took a long time to grow. Quite an amazing tree. Not a big tree, but it would join with other trees. 
to become a big tree, the myrtle tree. And so I want to tell you this morning that Isaiah 55 verse 12 and 13 is true. Yeah. Yeah. Amen? Amen. 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 God bless you.